The following is an encore presentation of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Vicki returns to broadcast live in studio starting in November. Enjoy today's program. Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives, sharing their expertise and life stories, making a difference one word at a time. Now, here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Well, today's show is all about stepping into your own light and claiming your value. It's about finding your voice and speaking up. It's about leveraging your abilities. And it's about being brave, not perfect. Coming up around 12.30, Reshma Sajani says we're raising boys to be brave and our girls to be perfect. And that has to change. Reshma uh, is the founder of Girls Who Code, and she wants... Uh, She's on many of the top lists of women making a difference in the world. She wants us to tell every woman we know to get comfortable with imperfection. Her new book is Brave Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. But first, what do Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Marissa Meyer, and Bill Gates all have in common besides being fantastically successful? Well, they're all introverts. My first guest is also an introvert and successful in her field. And she's written a really helpful book for anyone who struggles with being an introvert, whether that's speaking up in a group situation, claiming the recognition you deserve at work, meeting strangers, or in finding your unique voice. She's Jane Finkel. She has 25 years of experience as a career coach for universities. And before starting her own uh, career counseling firm in 2002, she served as Associate Director of Career Services at the University of Pennsylvania where she designed and administered uh, career programs. She also created and led the Wharton Career Discovery Seminar and served as liaison to recruiters from major corporations. She's written a great new book. It's called The Introvert's Complete Career Guide from Landing a Job to Surviving, Thriving, and Moving on Up. Jane Finkel, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And I think this is, uh, in many ways, it's a very timely uh, book because things are changing so rapidly. And the way that we used to do things has to keep pace with that. Otherwise, we get left behind. Um, I I want to just start with the word introvert because I do think it's a word that's often misused or misunderstood. So let's look at how you define introvert for the purposes of your book. Right. I think that... um introversion has to do with our energy. Um, and I think sometimes, oops, sorry, um, introverts are, are energized more by reflection and introspection. Um, and they tend to think carefully before they speak. And their other talent, I think, is that they're keen observers. And Bill Gates talks about this. They have this intense ability to concentrate <laughs> and dig deep. And sometimes that allows them to come up with innovative ideas and solve problems. You know, their challenge sometimes is that when they're in a room and everyone's talking, they can feel invisible or left out. Right. Um, but, you know, even uh, if you saw the document, documentary on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, what fascinated me about that um, documentary is that every person who described her used a word related to introversion, from modest, reserved, and intense, serious. Um, and I think that introverts bring so much to the workplace if they're appreciated and people understand, you know, the qualities that really, um, you know, make them, um, I, I'd say that they bring a quiet power. Yeah, well, obviously, if you look at, you know, the people we named up front, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, I mean, they, they bring a lot of uh, power with them. Um, so you, you say in the book that you were, uh, at a very early age, you, uh, it was recognized that you were an introvert. What's the difference between being introverted and being shy? You know, I think that's a really good question because I think 
people tend to um, attach that word to introvert. I think um, shyness is has more to do with maybe feeling an inability to um, talk to strangers or people that you don't know, or maybe in social situations not knowing how to start a conversation. There's certainly some introverts that might veer towards that, but actually introverts are quite good at developing relationships because they tend to draw people out. They don't like to disclose too much about themselves right away, but they know how to ask really good questions to get people to talk. And, you know, as people talk, they start to feel comfortable and connected to you. Right, so, right. Um, it's not, I mean, it can be about social skills, but it's more about this energy. Right. I think that uh, I want to just point this out because it, it's the introvert's complete career guide is the, is the title of your book. But I think many of the things you talk about in here apply to many aspects of life, not just at work. Yeah, I think that is true. I have been told by other people that there's lots of good recommendations. I think what I was trying to do is maybe use language and custom tailor it to introverts. To be right. picking up on the typical things that they're fearful about and ways that um, they can support their career by sometimes um, taking some bold moves or just thinking really carefully about um, what it is they want to say. Mm-hmm. You have um, a little test in the book for somebody to get some idea of which uh, side of the line they fall, introvert or extrovert. But I, I consider myself an ambivert. Um, or, or an intro, intro extrovert, as you call it, because there are times when I like to be alone and there are times when I love to be in, in company. And right. so many of us walk that middle kind of line, right? Well, you know, I think the one thing to understand is that this extroversion and introversion isn't static. The um, environment and our experience enhances or impedes it. So we may feel like one is a little bit more natural, but, you know, if we're going to survive in the American culture, which is extroverted, right. you know, whether you're extroverted or introverted, you're at, some, at some point you're going to have to be a little bit in the middle. And I call it intro and extrovert because I think ambivert sounds like an insect. So that's why I shifted, you know, that term. Um, I just thought it was a little nicer approach to combining the two. Right, right. So um, so we've got it then that introversion is not a negative uh, quality and, and we shouldn't, uh, you know, be feeling we've got to change who we are, but we right. have to learn how to work with it and make it work for us. So the number one thing that you say uh, introverts struggle with most is self-promotion. And in, especially in American culture, and, and especially in today's uh, world, of which is very fast uh, changing, right. we have to self-promote these days, whether we like it or we, not. We absolutely do. And it's one of those things that a lot of, I have to say, introverts love. Um, but then as they get more experience, they get better at it. I think one of the issues is, you know, you talk, we're talking about the American culture, but the you know, American workplace leans towards extroversion because you're rewarded for speaking up and taking initiative. And uh, you talked about the fast pace. Um, you know, the term that's used often is that we're in the age of acceleration and we're uh, almost breathless trying to keep up with technology. And the one way you're going to stay ahead uh, is being able to, is to be very self-directed and um, be able to shine a light on your co- accomplishments which is really what self-promotion is all about. Um, so I think, you know, in the book, I try to spend a lot of time um, coming up with some tools to help introverts focus on this because by nature they often tend to be modest. Like sometimes they know they're good at it, but they might not be great at boasting. Right. And I know when I started working at the University of Pennsylvania, I watched my coworkers running in and out of the director's office. And I thought, they're such egotists. But the reality was they were promoting themselves. Um, so I, in the book, I, I've tried really hard to come up with tools to help introverts figure out how to articulate, 
you know, their best qualities and how to present that to, you know, senior leaders. Yes. Um, yeah. So um, let's take a quick break, and because I do want to dive into some of those uh, suggestions that you make and, and look at how we can use our introverted qualities to our best advantage. And um, just touch on a, a couple of the points that are in the book that I'd really like to bring out today. So my guest is Jane Finkel, and her new book is called Introverts Complete Career Guide from Landing a Job to Surviving, Thriving, and Moving on Up. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, and we'll be right back. Please stay with us. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I am spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. Their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. At Sundown Communications, we find that most of our clients are brilliant at what they do, but they lack the time and resources to write and create business messaging that delivers results. That's where we come in providing a diverse range of professional copywriting services for fresh strategic web content, PR, advertising and promotion, marketing, speeches, and much more. Call us today so you can focus on what you do best, and we'll do the rest. Call 800-495-7617. That's 800-495-7617. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Listeners trust the show and advertisers love the audience. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, we are talking with career counselor Jane Finkel. Her new book is called The Introvert's Complete Career Guide. From landing a job to surviving, thriving, and moving on up. But as I said at the top of the hour, many of the um, tips that she gives in here, I think, translate to every everyday life. So, Jane, I want to dive into uh, some of the um, things you talk about in the book about how an introvert can leverage what they have, how they can pull their value. And one of the things that I think it's important to start with is how people tell their story and how they develop a personal brand. Because that's, that's something that even an introvert can do because much of it is done online. So would you share a couple of thoughts around that? Well, I think one of the most important things is, um, and I start the book out this way, with self-assessment. And self-assessment is about really stepping back and focusing in on your values, your interests, your achievements, your skills. And this, this evaluation process informs many other things, like targeting your resume, um, networking, interviewing, because in all those situations, you're going to want to be able to promote what, how you add value and what makes you unique and uh, some of what your special talents and skills are. So I think the self-assessment piece is really important. One thing that um, I've developed that a lot of my um, clients really enjoy, you know, there's always this discussion about the 30-second uh, elevator speech. Right. And I think that term really turns introverts off. And so what I developed instead, which probably has very similar components to the 30-second uh, elevator speech, is something called the savvy formula. And basically, it's taking a look at uh, S, each letter stands for um, how to put together um, a network presentation. So S is synopsis. A are your specific accomplishments. 
they are how you would add value to an employer, what your skills and special talents are. B is virtue, like personal qualities that you bring, uh, dedication, perseverance, creative thinking, and why is your interest in talking to that person or in the specific field. So this is just an example of a tool that helps pull some of those pieces together. And for an introvert, it helps them write a script. And you're right about telling a story because we live in a narrative culture. I mean, you, tell, you see people telling their story on Facebook and, on, you know, in all different ways. So, you know, being able to articulate your story for both for extroverts and introverts are really important. I think what happens with introverts, and I hear this, them say this to me, is I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So that's why building confidence through self-assessment, and then um, using some of the tools to be able to design and articulate, you know, what they want to say. But the most important thing in the in this day and age is <clears throat> how do we add value? Right, right. Um, let's just focus on social media for a second here, because one of the things that I, I tell people quite often is if you're not comfortable sharing your whole life, you know, online, and, and why would we want to, quite honestly? <laughs> right. Just just develop a little persona that represents you and the things that you are comfortable sharing and talking about. And right. that gives them a starting point, too, for for topics that they, they might want to blog about or, or tweet about or put on Facebook. Right. Well, I think that social media is a gift to introverts because they do like to be behind the screen. And they can um, develop a profile about themselves without interruption, you know, without having to talk about it. Um, while nothing replaces in person, it, for introverts, it's a great way to introduce themselves and to get some visibility. Right. So I wonder if you can share some tips um, around I think one of the most painful things from people I know who are very introverted, and I've certainly experienced this myself when I was much younger, um, is is speaking up in in a group, especially if you're on a new team or you're on, you know, you're you're lent out to somebody else's team, which happens quite often at work, um, and you kind of sit there and don't want to speak up, and yet you have good ideas. What kind of tips do you give people to get comfortable with speaking up? Well, I think that introverts can do an excellent job of, you know, oral presentation and public speaking as long as they have enough time to to plan in advance. So I have three golden rules for speaking up. And one is, the first golden rule is to reflect, and that's a natural quality for introverts, to think about what are the questions they might want to ask at a meeting or what are some important points they might want to highlight, or maybe they're working on a new project that they can um, talk about, you know, at the meeting. Then once they have a chance to really reflect and do that digging deep, the next thing is to um, uh, organize their thoughts. So um, do some planning. So do they want to um, jot down a list of notes? Do they want to do a PowerPoint presentation? Um, just think carefully about the best way to present and organize those thoughts. And the last is, I think, and I think this really is valuable to introverts to rehearse or practice. So it might be just to review the notes again before the meeting, or it might, if they're really nervous, they might enlist a trusted friend or colleague and practice the presentation or track, go through some of the notes that they want to highlight. Um, in a meeting. Right. But I do think that when introverts have that opportunity to think through and get it all organized and then, you know, practice a little bit, um, they do fine in a meeting. Mm. You talk... they do... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Finish you your know, thought Sometimes there. they will get to a meeting and people are talking and they don't have a chance to get their point across. What they can do is um, after the meeting, they might send a group email about something they thought about that was stimulated in the meeting. Mm. Um, or they might stop by their supervisor's office and say, you know, I didn't get a chance to t- 
talk about this in the meeting, but here's a new idea or a new approach to some to, to the issue that we brought up in the meeting. Right. And you talk about the importance of building those strong relationships with our colleagues, with, with senior leaders, because then they do get to see us an, as an individual and, and they do right. get to recognize our values. Right. You know, I think sometimes introverts are good at building relationships, but sometimes they don't understand the importance of taking initiative to get those relationships going. Mm. So, you know, it's very important. Probably the, the most important relationship at work is with your manager. Or if you're the supervisor, with your, with your team. Right. And so it's very important for introverts to um, talk with the manager to find out the best way to communicate. Does the manager prefer email? Does the manager want to meet with you once a week? Um, and I also think it's not a bad idea to develop rapport with some common interest, if you have children or you both play tennis, and be able to periodically talk about that. It's just when we have things in common, it helps to build rapport. Yes, definitely. And one of the things that I think uh, is extremely difficult for people who um, who don't like coming forward uh, is to ask for a raise or ask for a promotion. So what tips do you give on that? On, um, on, on, in advancing, I think that um, there are many things, especially um, in this age of acceleration, that can help introverts um, advance in their career. I think one of the big things is if you can bring innovation, like a new idea or a new approach. Um, the other thing is if you can identify an emerging trend that might impact your organization. Um, the other thing is, you you know, with introverts and with everyone, you need to take cal- calculated risks. Um, so, you know, you need to find ways to challenge yourself. Um, and we talked about being self-directed. So you can't expect, you know, employers to notice you. You have to find ways to make sure they know uh, some of your specific accomplishments or some of the ways that you've add value. Mm. And you have to be really savvy about your organization. Right. You know, you need to go know what's going on in the landscape. And we all have to keep t- on top of technology. Yes. You know, once we think we know something, uh, it's changed. Something new. <laughs> and the most important thing is you need to be very good at what you do. Yes. Yes. And uh, just going back to something you said earlier, um, introverts are... Um, it, it's about energy, and so they need to take the time to take care of themselves and restore that energy so that they can be on point. We're right at the end of our segment, Jane. Um, a final thought you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Well, I think that um, introverts bring so much to the workplace, and I think the key for them is to embrace their introversion and to sprinkle in extroverted skills. And also, not be afraid sometimes to make bold moves because in time it won't seem so bold at all. Right. And to just remember there's introverts really do bring a quiet power. Well, you shared some great tips today, and there are many, 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 many more <laughs> tips in your book here. The Introvert's Complete Career Guide from Landing a Job to Surviving, Thriving, and Moving on Up. Jane Finkel, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And you can find more about Jane and her work at janefinkel.com, janefinkel.com. All right, please do stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga, we cover the world of animals. This week, October 13th, it's Harmonic Energy Shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Potton from the Whispering Dragon Center in the studio. They'll have their acutonic forks and chimes, Tibetan bowls and bells, pua digin rattle, ready to do free remote treatments for you and or your animal friends. So plan to join us and call in on Martha Norwalk's Animal World Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11.50. Let's see if I, I guess that, (sighs) this just isn't working. Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing, writing it another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. 
Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you at the exact level you need, whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at VickiStClair.com or call 1-800-495-7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiStClair.com. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Conversations live with Vicki St. Clair. Inspiring, innovative, and a great place to advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Alternative Talk, 1150 on AM, 98.9 HD3 on HD, 1150kknw.com on the web. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And uh, we are talking in this segment with Reshma, Reshma Sajani, and her new book is called Brave Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. She is the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code, a national nonprofit organization working to close the gender gap in technology and uh, also simultaneously teaching girls confidence and bravery through coding. She's been named one of Fortune's 40 Under 40, a Wall Street Journal magazine innovator of the year, one of the 50 most powerful women in New York by the New York Daily News, and uh, Business Insider's 50 Women Who Are Changing the World. And that list goes on, let me tell you. (laughs) She's also the New York Times bestselling author of Girls Who Code. Uh, But we are talking today about being brave, not perfect. Reshma Sajani, welcome. Thanks, Vicky. Excited to be on. And uh, you're joining us from by Skype today. I need to get that out there. Um, but <laughs> we are. Um, I, I'm really pleased to have you on the show because, uh, you know, with everything that's been happening lately in the world and all of these movements that have come to the front, I really believe we have to change the way, focus on the way that we raise our girls. And, and this is uh, a big thing for you. But before we get into that, I want to just share with our listeners Um, when you first stepped into your own bravery, you said that you had what what some might consider a fairly privileged kind of life. You went to Yale Law School. You had prestigious jobs in uh, companies. You were had a a very good high paying job at the time. And one day you just decided this wasn't for you. You just kept doing it because you felt you had to. Um, And so you thought, hey, I'm going to run for Congress. So tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, so I was always the good Indian daughter. My parents came here as refugees. And so, you know, went to the right schools, worked at the right places and, you know, kind of woke up at age 33 and was sitting in this kind of windowless conference room at work. And that's like my best friend calls. And of course, it's when your best friend calls. Right. And I was just going (laughs) to I was falling apart. And she you know, was miserable at this job. I didn't like I knew it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Um, but I felt so much pressure uh, to be perfect. And my friend Deepa said, just quit. And I was like, oh, my God, I can do that. And so, you know, from the time I was a little girl, I've wanted to serve. You know, my parents came here as refugees. This country literally saved their lives. And I was working in finance, so basically the opposite in my mind of public service. And so I decided at 33 to just say, all right, I'm going to do this, and ran for United States Congress uh, in a Democratic primary 
against someone who had been there for 18 years. So Vicki, I like had no chance of winning. <laughs> and it was the first time I had done something in my life that I wasn't probably going to work out. But it was like the best 10 months of my life in my race. And I lost miserably. I mean, wasn't even close. 19% of the vote. I was broke. I was humiliated. I had angered the entire Democratic establishment. But here's the thing. When I lost, it didn't break me. Like, it didn't break me. And this light bulb went off. And I was like, okay, I, I can fail and it won't break me. And that was the beginning of living my life brave, not perfect. Mm. You say you met a woman at a conference and she asked you a valid question. How can I not strive to be perfect when the world rewards perfection? And your response really is that the world uh, respond, the world rewards bravery, not perfection. True. Carol Dweck has this great line and she said, you know, if life were lo one long grade school, girls would rule the world, but it's <laughs> yeah. not. You know, in the workplace, it's bravery that matters, not perfection. And I think that we have found, many of us, that like, if we're perfect, we'll be happy. If we're perfect, everything will work out. And when we are perfect, we're not happy. Women are twice as likely to be depressed than men. And perfectionism, in many ways, is causing a leadership gap. You know, we have less than 25% of women in Congress. We have no new Fortune 500 CEOs this year. Right. I mean, you look at industry after industry after industry and we're not there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we need to basically train our girls, rewire ourselves to be brave. And I think in the real world, it's bravery that matters. Right. You uh, talked about getting clobbered when you ran for Congress. Um, and you say ever since then, you know, after you had your, your little getting over losing, You've been exercising that bravery muscle every day. Now, is that a conscious act? Is that I'm this is, I think, something that gets stronger and stronger, just like a regular muscle that you work out. It's definitely a conscious act. I mean, you have to be intentional about because we're, we're raised this way, right? Girls mm -hmm. are raised from the time that they're little, little to, you know, don't take that toy away. You know, honey, don't raise your voice smell pretty. Your dress is dirty. So we have been raised to be perfect, to put other others people's feelings before ours. And that happens around eight years old, where we start doing this calculation. Should I tell you what I really think? Or should I tell you what I think is going to make you happy? And that toxic people pleasing kind of last until we get older. And you see it play out in college, where when we don't get the A, you know, in the major that we thought that we were, you know, prepared for, we drop out and try something we're quote, good at. And you see this pattern extend over and over and over again. So when you're exercising your bravery muscle, I always say like, it's not one and done. You're gonna fall on and off the wagon. And in my book, I give some real tactics uh, and strategies that you have to, that you can use and that you can practice. Right, right. So let's talk about why you formed STEM, uh, why you formed uh, Girls Who Code and, and in the attempt to try and get more women into STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, you did that in 2012. Um, you, you, you're not a coder yourself. I was surprised to learn mm. that because I assumed you were a coder. Um, so what no. motivated you to do that and, and take that particular route? Yeah, I mean, I'm a weird person to have started <laughs> Girls Who Code because I'm not a coder. And I wasn't even a math and science nerd. You know, I, I majored in poli science, speech communications. I started this organization because of opportunity. You know, I've had a job since I was 12 years old. And, you know, when I ran for Congress and I lost, I would go into these classrooms and I would just see a ton of boys, you know, learning to be the next Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. And I thought, like, where are the girls? And I spent a couple of years just researching everything that there was. And because I knew that these jobs paid well, you know, my mother's an engineer, my father's an engineer. And I knew that, like, I was watching people like Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg build these amazing companies where the customer base was female. And so I wanted to understand what that was about. And so Girls Who Code in many ways started as an experiment. You know, I took 20 girls. I borrowed a friend's conference room. I, you know, bought pizza for them. And we taught them how to code over seven weeks in the hopes that they would then say, you know what, I want to go into this as a field. And it worked. And now six years later, we've reached almost 185,000 girls mm -hmm. in all 50 states. We're about to go global and, you know, you really realize that, you know, this is the most important economic issue. Like automation is changing everything about the way that we live and work. 40% of America's breadwinners are women. And yet we're leaving girls behind. 
Yeah. And so, but I realize that we've taught 185,000 girls. It's not that they don't want to learn and it's not that they're not good at it. We're just telling them through culture, you know, that, that this is a field that's left for boys and it's hurting our society and, it's and a big, you know, we're, we're reversing it. Yeah. And that's great. You're doing a really awesome job. I mean, the numbers are, are proving it. Um, there's a huge perception to overcome there. Um, because, and, you know, I just looked on Twitter just to see what kind of comments were around about uh, women in science, women in engineering. And a typical comment was this from a guy, of course. <laughs> there, aren't, <laughs> there aren't more women in tech because female brains aren't made for science. Ugh. They can't handle it. Women are no good at math. I mean, so there's this huge perception to overcome there. And, of course, what you're doing is, is exposing the females to this and, and yeah. getting more people out there. So, so that's awesome. And, Vicky, I say who cares what they think. Yeah. But what matters to me and it's why I wrote this book is that we our perceived ability is affecting what we think we want to do. And it really happens in math and science. You, you go to any math classroom in the country. I had this little girl that um, was in my, my office and she was her and her mother were there. She was probably eight years old, Isabel. And she was saying, you know, mommy, I'm not good at math. And her mom says, what, Isabel, what are you talking about, honey? You got an A on your math test. But she says, well, mom, the math teacher called on me the other day and I didn't know the answer right away. So instead of saying I didn't know, I just raised my hand and I said I had to go to the bathroom. Oh. So it's this thing, right, that's going through their head. Wait a minute. This is taking a bit of time. Oh, I, I'm, you know, it's not like reading where I can figure it out right away. I need to. And, and because we're raising them to be perfectionists, they start giving up before they even try. Whereas we have literally taught our boys to sit with a challenge. We have not taught our girls to do that. Mm -hmm. When our daughters are bad at gymnastics, we pull them out and we put them into soccer. We coddle them. We protect them. And so this basically affects us, you know, once you get into middle school, once you get into high school, once you get into college. It's not that we don't have the ability. It's that we haven't been taught the perseverance, you know what I mean, and the resilience to stay. We haven't been taught to be brave, not perfect. Right. And I think that when we start doing that, when we start rewiring our, the way that we raise our girls and ourselves, you will see all of this change. And it will change very quickly because literally I've done this with 185,000 girls and millions of others. And I have seen the changes in their lives and in their ability, not just about coding, but about soccer or public speaking or about building a company. I mean, it's trans this idea of being brave, not perfect is transformative. Right. Transformative. I just want to uh, touch on something I heard you say. I, HP did a study um, where men, they say men apply for jobs um, even if they only think they qualify for about 60% of the skills. Mm -hmm. um, women will only typically apply if they meet 100% of the skills, um, which really shocked me because I, I, I'm a, a consultant, contractor, freelancer. I work a lot with people who put out bids for jobs and really have no idea what they want that person to do. So they just throw a whole list of stuff down on the, on the job description. And um, so it, it's shocking, really, because they're, they're cutting themselves off at the knees before they even get through the door there. And we give up before we try all the time. I mean, we think that we have to be perfect to lead. So we look at the job stack, like, oh, wait, I don't have that. I, I'm not going to apply. Because part of it is also this feeling of not wanting to feel rejected. And so if, if it's not going to work out anyway, why should I even bother to try? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you think about like, it's very, very different for men. Think about even hobbies. I, one of the tactics that I offer in my book is do something you suck at. Every man I know has some hobby, tennis, basketball, fantasy football. He's not good at it, but he likes it. So he goes anyway. Women, no way. Most women will say, I'm not even going to a fitness class until I'm in shape, right? We don't do things because we enjoy them. We do things because we're good at them. And so we never have that feeling of sitting with something that is a challenge and having to either figure it out or let it let, you know, let buy us some time. Mm -hmm. I'm total. I was totally this way. Like if I get a toy that my son gets, and I can't figure it out right away. I'm, my, my, my gut reaction is to toss it to my husband and be like, can you do this? <laughs> or if my phone goes black, right? Right, right. It's like, honey, can you figure this out? I mean, we're in all of that sense of like, we need to be saved, right? We are vulnerable. You know, we, we can't do this on our own. 
where does that come from? And it literally starts at 30 months old. But I think that you can start to unteach yourself this. I, I certainly have in my life and so have other women. Yeah. You talked about rejection. We don't like this rejection. And I was chatting mm-hmm. with the editor of Modern Love, which is a, a column that runs in you know, the New York Times. And it's an extremely popular column. And he gets thousands of submissions. And he said the only people that ever really come back to him after he's rejected a submission um, the only people who really come back to him are men and they'll come back and say, why did you reject me? And how could I have done this differently? So I think that's a good lesson we can learn there. Um, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to dive into some of the stories in the book because you talked with a lot of women to put this book together. And uh, I think you did a really great job. The book is Thank called you. Brave, Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More and Live Bolder. My guest, Reshma Sajani. We'll be right back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair airs live every Monday at noon. And now you can also catch the show during drive time at 6 a.m. every Friday. Hear from New York Times bestselling authors, innovative business leaders, cutting-edge health and wellness professionals, award-winning journalists, filmmakers, explorers, and adventurers. Tune in to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, Mondays at noon Pacific time and Fridays at 6 a.m. Right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Looking for unconditional love, an exercise buddy, or a great listener? Pause has the dog or cat of your dreams, just waiting to meet you. We've made thousands of perfect matches since 1967 because everyone needs a warm, safe place to call home. Find out more today at pause.org or call 425-787-2500. I'm Kathy Cooper, and every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m., I'll be hosting Lost and Found. We'll be discussing all types of losses, but it's not going to be the doom and gloom hour. It'll be an hour of education, support, validation, and yes, we will have a little bit of humor. So won't you join me Wednesdays, 1 to 2 p.m., Lost and Found, because every loss matters, and through every loss, something can be found. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wound, sir? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Innovative business leaders know to advertise here. Learn how affordable at conversationslive.net. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest is Reshma Sajani. Uh, she's the founder of Girls Who Code. She's a New York Times bestselling author. And uh, we're talking today about her new book, Brave, Not Perfect. And I have to say, just I love the title of this book, Fear Less, Fail More and Live Bolder, Brave, Not Perfect. And I'm, I want to just read a blurb off the back of the book. It's with Adam Grant because he's been on the show a couple of times. Um, and he says, perfection is not just the enemy of the good. The pressure to be perfect is the enemy of girls around the world. In this courageous, convincing book, Reshma Sajani shares a bold vision to free girls and women from the shackles of social expectations. I, and I think that pretty well sums it up, right, Reshma? <laughs> absolutely does. Adam's very good at that. So I want to talk just a little about how you define bravery because, um, you know, we're not talking here uh, rushing into a fire. <laughs> we're talking right, right. about taking charge of our lives And um, so give us, just talk to a little about how you define bravery. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, bravery is not dragon slaying or, you know, saving a baby from a burning building. It's having the courage to do what you want and having the courage to kind of live life for yourself. That, that, that's what bravery means. You know, Vicki, it's like, we're seeing so much bravery on the biggest stage, right? We have six women running for president. You've seen women take down these powerful men in the Me Too movement. But what I'm calling for is the everyday bravery. 
you know, the bravery when you're walking down the street and someone pushes you and we always say, oh, I'm sorry. The bravery to say, wait, excuse me. Right. Mm -hmm. The bravery to say no and do something for yourself. The bravery, like for me, like after I had a baby, like I couldn't take off the baby weight. And I felt so guilty going to the gym in the morning because the dog wanted to go out and the baby was waking up. (laughs) Right. And then it's like having the courage to do something for me. That's brave. Yeah. Giving yourself permission to not do something is brave, too. Uh, You talk about that in the book. So. Um, and you, you say just taking an unpopular stand, um, you know, we have to stand for something these days. If we don't, you know, to use Ginger Rogers quote, I think it was, we fall for anything. Um, so we have to take a stand about things that we believe in. I I do believe that. Absolutely. Um, And we have to know that it doesn't always feel good when you do. Right. You know, it's not this like rush of you for like, I did it. It sometimes feels bad. And I talk about that in the book, but you got no regrets. You, get, you, you talk in the book about when you gave a talk to a tech software company and, and it went down a bit like a lead balloon. <laughs> yes. yes. But so when we, when we get in a situation and we find ourselves failing, um, it, I mean, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as, you know, failing to get into U.S. Congress. Uh, but when we failed on something that was meaningful to us, um, you give some steps about how we, we can get over this. And one is to, first of all, you know, have a little pity party kind of yes. thing going on. And my aunt always used to say, okay, you can have a pity party here, but you have to give it a deadline. And, and you kind of say I that in the book too. Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, for me, after I lost my congressional race, it was like a couple of weeks, a lot of margaritas and asking the same question over and over and over again to my boyfriend, who's now my husband. But then that was it. And then I put it behind me and I moved on. Right. And I think it's real. That is like very important about how you don't let failure break you is like you cannot let it sit with you forever. But you got to like give it morning time. Mm -hmm. You uh, let's talk about how you put the book together, because you talked with you gave a TED talk, which had a phenomenal response. It is on the Internet. People can can look at that. Um, and you said that talk hit a deep nerve uh, in many, many women that really took you by surprise. Um, what was the reaction that that led to this book? I mean, it, that's ultimately how the book came about, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to write this book. I gave a talk, a TED Talk that now has like well over 4 million views. And I was overwhelmed with how the you know, it stuck a nerve, right? And it wasn't just with the TED audience, but it was like cashiers in Walmart, you know, or a woman who owned a gallery in New York City. It was like this idea of struggling with perfectionism was this pervasive struggle that was universal of women of all socioeconomic, religion, race backgrounds. And so I said to myself, God, I I need to learn more, right? Mm -hmm. And I need to get to the bottom of how this is developed. And like, can we actually fix this? And this book is kind of like years of research and thinking and talking and writing and like, and my answer out of all this is yes. And it's probably, you know, it is up there with starting Girls Who Code in terms of the most important thing that I can do, I think, to like change the reality for women. And look, this book isn't a management book. It's not going to, you know, it's not about let me tell you how to get a promotion. It's let me tell you how to be happy. Because the thing that I've learned is like the more success, more happy you are, the more successful you will be. You know, we see so many women, so many people doing the things that we talked ourselves out of. We let our good ideas die in the vine. And then we see other people succeed. Mm. And we are full of so much regret and envy. And I think that that's what breaks the sisterhood. That's what eats us up inside. That's what prevents us from taking big, bold challenges. And I think bravery and taking a, a step towards your dream not only brings you joy, but doesn't leave you feeling empty. Right, right. I I think that's an important part uh, to just touch on a little bit more here is that we have to support each other because there Mm. are women who like to bring other women down. It's not it's not just a male versus uh, female thing here. Um, There are plenty of saboteurs in, you know, female saboteurs there. So I think that's really important to um, just touch on there. Um, One of the things you say is, you know, you're crossing the line from the pursuit of excellence into perfectionism when you feel like nothing is ever enough. Um, I think that's another important point there because, you know, we do strive for excellence. Where's the cutoff there between that and perfectionism? 
Yeah, I think excellence is the way of being. It's not like a target that you hit or miss, right? You have pride in the effort. Perfectionism is all about the outcome. One of my, I don't have this in the book, but one of my favorite story that a friend of mine or was uh, trying out for the Olympic diving team. And it was her last, it was the trials. And it was her last opportunity. She takes her dive and she misses it. It's done. Her dream, it's over. And her boyfriend is sitting there and he's like, come on, let's go. And she goes, no, give me a minute. And she goes up after the trial is over and she does her perfect dive. And of course it's perfect. Mm. But she did that for herself. Yeah. For herself. Yeah. I think and that- that's the difference between excellence and perfection. Right. The other thing that we, um, oh, we've only got a minute here left, Rashma. There's so many things I uh- want to talk to you about, <laughs> but... Um, Let's let's get to the heart of this. How do we help young girls leverage their imperfection? How do we get them to be comfortable with being imperfect? Well, I think we encourage them to be imperfect and take steps, whether you're a girl or you're, uh, you know, in your 20s, 30s and 40s. My big, you know, art- I have an article in the USA Today today about this is, you know, send an email with a typo in it. You know what I mean? And make it slightly consequential. You will see that nothing will happen. You know, secondly, do something you suck at. Like when your daughter is not good at gymnastics, don't take her out. Let her know what it's like to feel mediocre. If she's struggling, you know what I mean, with putting something, putting a block together or, you know, a toy together, let her sit with her, with her struggle. Don't try to fix it for her, mm-hmm. you know, and for all the women out there, you know, just start, do one thing. If you're staring at a closet that needs to be cleaned, if you have a podcast you've always wanted to start or side business you want, go buy the URL. Or tomorrow at a dinner party or when you're sitting there with your family, just tell somebody that you're thinking about doing this. Just take one step. That's a great uh, piece of advice to end on. I know my mother always used to tell me, Vicky, it's not carved in concrete. You can change your mind at any point. So I think sometimes we let that, uh, we think this has got to be a forever thing or or nothing and let, let that stop us. So uh, I know listeners can find out much more about you at your website, reshmasajani.com, and also at girlswhocode.com. Final very quick thought you'd like to leave us with, Reshma. I think that we can build a bravery revolution, and I think when we do, we will be happier, and we will see the leadership numbers of women just change. It's never too late to be brave, not perfect. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Vicky. And uh, Reshma Sajani, my guest, her book again, Brave, Not Perfect, really great book, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. And uh, if I want to thank each of you for being with us today. If you have questions, comments, or feedback on today's show, you can find me at 800-495-7617, 800-495-7617. We're on Facebook, of course. You can uh, catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. And uh, you can email me from there, too. And that's it for this week. We will see you next week. Until then, live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today.